muscle. It's like a hammer and it hits a person's head. With Sullivan who said, the bigger they come, the harder they fall. When you want to succeed as bad as you want to breathe, then you'll be successful. to the point where all you want to do is be successful as bad as you want to breathe then you'll be successful if you say you want to be successful but you don't want it bad you just kind of want it hello and welcome to edition 12 of the sm podcast and uh, it's been going quite good uh we've had quite a number of uh high profile guests on and our next few are no different but just before i get into that uh, i'd like to just talk about the next few months in sm uh we're pretty stacked up with powerlifting uh this weekend we've got sarah lauren and kaya going to the niapf um they should set some real good totals there and then next week we're down in dublin for the all irelands and we'll have uh, gina amy and carrie up um, they should set some real, real good standards in both the 57 and the junior 72s. Uh, Carrie just coming off injury. She looks really, really well. Um, she looks to open a quite a high number with her squat and put about maybe five kilo on her bench. And then, you know, we've been working through obviously her injury from last year. So, um, we should be up in and around where we were with the deadlift, um, which is incredible. Uh, Amy is our new lifter. Um, she's a 57, so we're hoping to hit in and around the region of 340, um, which would be the regional standard. And also with Gina, Gina's been training really well. Uh, we're just hoping to improve on our nationals total and hit regional standard. Um, which she's more capable of doing on the numbers that uh, she's been hitting in training. And then in June, we've got uh, we've got uh, CJ and Bruna and Sean Fern. They're going to be competing at the IPF World Championships in Calgary. Um, all three of them have been absolutely smashed in training. So, uh, again, the, the game plan over there is, you know, hit some nice PBs and aim to go as close to name for name as possible. And then we also have Granny Considine from Ireland who currently lives out there in Paris. Um, she'll be competing in the AIPO Europeans over in France. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what she produces. Um, she's competing in around the 23rd of June, I believe. Yeah, Saturday the 23rd of June. And then going into, into July, we've got uh, the Ref at Open which is in the middle of July, so I think that's the 14th and 15th. Um, we shall have in the round 10 lifters going down there. Um, looking forward to August, we've got uh, Bruna. She's going to do the abs pro, um, put the wraps on for the first time. I'm so interested to see how that goes. Uh, and I have forward into the September. There is the September Open and also the Western Classics. Um, so... We, we have, it's too far to predict who's going to be going to that and then obviously 
closing out the year, we're going to have the European Championships in Lithuania. So it's it's a pretty busy six months for for us in strength Malaysia. So we're really looking forward to that. And you know, you know, programming has been going really well. Um, all the guys have been hitting their numbers. Um, and and they've been absolutely smashed it. Um, everybody from from our beginner lifters right through to our more advanced lifters. It's a strategy I've been really enjoying implementing, certainly in the last three to six months, and seeing the results that's coming out of it. Um, and it's all about like emerging information. Uh, you know, getting feedback from the lifter, trying certain exercises in one block. If they don't work, you can maybe substitute them in for something else that you may find will help the lifter um, progress. So we're if we're taking a sort of a week out of the whole lifter um with a squat, uh, maybe you'll see that and you'll you'll see that uh, weakness and then the information that you're gathering is that oh we might need to sit in the hole a wee bit longer so you would employ some free count pause work maybe. Um so it, it it's a great model. I love it. Um, and it's something that has changed the way the way that I coach, certainly. Um, and traditionally, you look at uh, programming models from top down. So basically, if you have a competition or a cycle that's going to end in sixteen weeks, well, you have that top sort of number that you're looking to hit, and then you work backwards with this strategy. It's not like that. It's more of a bottom up, where um, the you have a week, sort of a four to six week sort of training period, and then you'll go into sort of a pivot block. But in that four to six weeks, you're gathering the information from the lifter um, to progress them, um, and then they will peak out after that time. So it's with great pride that I can welcome our guest today, uh, Mr. Mike Tashir. Um, you know, the first time I heard about it was in EPC last year, um, and I was just obsessed about learning about it, and thankfully enough, he invited me into his classroom to learn and more importantly apply this strategy. So it's with great pleasure that I introduce uh, Mike. Hey Mike, how's it going? How are you? Uh, things are good, man. Uh, just busy, but everyone's busy, right? So it's yeah. kind of a, a non-thing to say, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, especially with five weeks coming up the words, uh, you have some real high level athletes competing there. Yeah, yeah. So I was just talking with uh, one of our other coaches about that. We've got, uh, well, we had 16. One had to, to drop out uh, due to some other circumstances. So we've got 15 lifters going to Worlds this year, which is pretty pretty cool. Yeah, that is. And how much of a raise is that from last year? How many did you have at the World Championship in 17? Mm-hmm. I, I want to say about eight or 12 I have a hard time remembering offhand <laughs> I remember so the so last year the two, 2017 worlds yeah we had as many medalists uh that year as we had total lifters the year prior that's crazy um yeah, yeah. that's amazing yeah, so uh and then this year we've got more lifters total of course we'll have to see how many medalists we get out of this but um yeah we things are are looking good you know at the nomination standpoint which that you don't get medals for nominations but yeah um you know we're excited we're uh all of us uh, are headed up there we're gonna hang out for the 
at least the week of the opens, you know. Yeah. I, I just mentioned to you before that we're getting ready to move. Yeah. Uh, so it's difficult for me to, to get time away uh, to go to something like this. But still, you know, we're, we're going to be up there for the, the whole week uh, while the open competitors are doing their thing. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. And it just shows the growth of, uh, you know, the RTS sort of system that, you know, from the previous year and then you're, you're all of a sudden creating all these medalists and then of course you've had people like Brett join uh, in the last two years and like Isabella of course I mean it just it, it just shows how her um, popular and how great of a coach you are to have these type of athletes wanting to come and join you well thank you thank you and and coaching the lifters at that level is interesting it's it's unique really um it's it's a pretty tight knit group, you know. Like of lifters at that level, they know each other and they talk to each other, and so it's like any other community. Word of mouth matters a lot. Yeah, you know. And so I think uh, I think that's kind of how we've managed to coach lifters at that level. Is that it, I mean, honestly, it helped a lot that I was competing at that level for a while and got to know people, and that helped to get us started. But yeah. the way that it continues is that we try to do a good job for them, you know, and that we uh, are respectful of the relationship that we facilitate with the athlete, you know. Yeah. But it, and to be honest, like that's something that we do. Like it's not like a different process for you know uh, elite powerlifters versus everyday powerlifters. Not at all. You know, it's the the same process that I use to develop my own training and and all of that. You know, yeah. so it's uh um it, it's the same type of thing it's the same type of experience yeah because I, I feel like if it's if it's um good enough for me you know to do for my own training if it's good enough for you know these athletes that are competing at the top of the sport i mean uh, there's no real reason why you would use anything else for people at, at every level yeah and you know it just falls into that sort of programming aspect of things. Like, um, definitely from the what I've seen with your athletes is the new concept that that I first picked up on when I went to the EBC last year. Um, the emerging strategies, and it's something that you know I really want to get talking about today. Um, how did how did that strategy come about? Was it something that you've been looking at for years, or is it something you know? That you know, coming from sort of a linear uh, and DUP style of a, a system, how did you get to the emerging strategies? So it was kind of some years in the making. Yeah. Uh, so when we started out, or when I, I used to program in a similar way that everyone programs, you know, I used similar periodization constructs and. You know, we would all put our own twist on them, but it's fundamentally a, a similar progression. Okay. You know, very little difference in the programming, I would say. Um, now, several years ago, like maybe 2010 or 11, yeah. I think. Um, I could be wrong on that, but somewhere in that time frame. Uh, there was a, a book that came out called Squat Every Day by Matt Perryman. And Matt is a really interesting guy. He's not so much a powerlifter, but 
he did compete in powerlifting a little bit. Um, he's more of like a fitness thinker. He's definitely more of a philosopher. And unfortunately, I don't think he really writes in the space anymore, uh, which is really a shame because I, I enjoyed his writing. Yeah. Um, but anyway, he wrote this book called Squat Every Day. And this was kind of the beginning when the Bulgarian craze kind of kicked off. You yeah. Know? Uh, so I book for how he thinks about training and more how how he thinks about periodization as a concept you know um and one of the things that he talked about in this book is how periodization just by definition is a top-down construct okay. you know you it's a top-down planning model you start with you know, I have 16 weeks or, you know, I'm going to build the multi-year plan or whatever you've got, you know, and then you start subdividing that into other periods. And, you know, and so every session becomes a stepping stone to the next session to get to your ultimate goal. Okay. And I mean, that's a really logical and rational way to think about it. And it makes sense when you think about it on, on that level, mm-hmm. you know, which is why it's been so widely adopted, I think. But he talks about a lot of the limitations of a top-down planning model, you know, yeah. and that was kind of my first, I guess, introduction in, into thinking critically about periodization. Now, it, it, this is kind of a, a analogy that I use all the time now. If you think of periodization as a tool, all tools have strengths and weaknesses. They're good at some things and they're not good at other things. Yeah. You wouldn't use a saw to pound in the nail. It's just not good at that job, you know? Yeah. Um, and if you have a tool and you don't know what the weaknesses of that tool are, then that doesn't mean they're not there. That means that's a blind spot for you, yeah. you know? Um, so when I started kind of like, oh, okay, so here's some of the weaknesses in the periodization concept and started thinking about it more. Okay, so this is what a top-down planning structure is like what would a bottom-up planning structure be like yeah you know and that's kind of where i got stuck i was like well that would be neat because that would circumvent a lot of these problems and that would seem to be a more organic way of planning and training yeah um but how do you do that and i got stuck there for a long time uh and then fast forward probably three four or five years somewhere in there yeah um I was listening to a podcast with Derek Evely. Uh, now, Derek is a track and field coach, uh, coach primarily throws. He's a Canadian guy, coached at Kamloops. Okay. And in the early 2000s, uh, Bondarchuk, uh, Dr. Anatoly Bondarchuk, uh, the famous Soviet throws coach, yeah. left Russia. Uh, I believe he went to Kuwait for a little while, coached there for a little bit. Uh, I guess he didn't like it. Anyway, he moved to Canada. And it's a really interesting story to hear Derek talk about it. Um, but Bonnerchuk basically lived in Derek's basement for a year or two. And they coached side by side. Derek worked for Bonnerchuk, you know. Yeah. And so he was talking about how Bonnerchuk actually does things. Now, you can read Bonnerchuk's books, and, and I have, and it's not clear how this method it's not clear how his planning is different, you know, and I think a big part of that is the translation, uh, you know, and then you can talk to Derek and find out more about like kind of how that 
worked out, but you know, yeah. you wouldn't read that and come up with the method that Bondarchuk used. But hearing Derek talk about it, you know, when he was talking about like how they did things, I thought I was driving to the airport while I was listening to this podcast, and I remember it very well because I got so excited. Like, I haven't been this excited about a training concept in so long, you know, and it's really yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, I got really excited because it's like, man, that's what a bottom-up training strategy would look like. So if you didn't want to, you know, just take for granted these periodization concepts, these top-down structures, this is what it would look like. This is how you would do it. So I kind of began the process. Of, I didn't sleep, of course. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I began this process of it's not that hard to... To, to translate it, they're similar disciplines, you know, obviously some key differences, but, um, you know, work on how to, how would you do this thing and just do it for powerlifting instead of hammer throw Yeah. and came up with a working model. And, um, right away I went to, uh, I went to Liz Craven and, and Megan Hinchley. They're both, uh, uh, some world level powerlifters in Australia. Yeah. And, uh, you know, said, Hey, I've got this kind of crazy idea. I want to, you want to try it? Like, I have no idea if this is going to work, but, um, you know, as a concept, it's very different from a planning standpoint, but you know, it's like, Hey, we're going to do this thing and we're going to keep doing this thing. And as long as it's working and when it stops working, then we're going to change it and do something different. Yeah. And that, that doesn't sound that <laughs> ridiculous, you know, when you put it that way. So, um, you know, they were on board and, when I first started this concept, I thought this is really more of a long-term strategy, right? This is a long-term play because, and, and of course, kind of, we, we jumped right into this, assuming that anybody listening has a background knows kind of generally how emerging strategies is constructed and that's fine. Um, but we're controlling the variation. We're restricting the variations. Uh, volume, intensity, exercise selection, all that, so that we don't have much of it from uh, from microcycle to microcycle yeah. within a development cycle, right? So while you're in one training block, uh, it's like Derek says, it's Chinese water torture. It's the same yeah. every time, you know, drip, 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 yeah. you know. Um, and um, shoot, where was I going? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Um, okay. <clears throat> so you get this kind of repeated, repeated stimulus, and yeah. my thought was the variations that you would normally get yeah. would help improve yeah. the magnitude of your response. Of course, you know. Mm. Uh, so by restricting that, I thought we won't get quite as big of a response in yeah. one development cycle, but over the long term you should get more successful development cycles. Yeah. So you get a slightly blunted response in one development cycle, but you win more often. And so at the end of the year, it's a better net gain. That's what I thought would happen. But what actually happened is the first block that I put uh, any, let's talk about these two. The first block that I put these two on worked incredibly well. You know, like in Liz's case, she starts handling world record weights for, like eight RPE sets, yeah. you know, and I was calling Derek and I was like, uh, is this okay? Like, should we pull the plug on this development cycle? Cause 
that first development cycle, you don't really know how long it's going to last. Yeah. You're waiting for that peak condition and you've got a lifter who's handling more than anybody else on the planet and getting stronger and you start going, shit, I hope they don't get hurt. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. Yeah. Cause the last thing you want to do is hurt one of your athletes. Right. Yeah. Well, we kind of kept things going and it was fine. You know, she, nothing, no, no catastrophes happened. Nothing bad happened. She had a normal peak. Um, but that has become more the rule than the exception, especially the first block that we put somebody on. Yeah. They have this bigger response than we would have otherwise expected. And I still can't fully account for why that is. Because conceptually, it should be more of a long-term play. And I think it still is. But it's also a good short-term play as well. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. And, uh, you know, just on the emerging strategies, like, you know, going into development cycles, which is sort of like uh, a number of microcycles, if you will, because we, yeah. you would run them sort of between four to six weeks. Um, so... There's that similarity in a, in the programming of a, a you know sort of a linear. Only you keep the sets and reps the same. Isn't that correct? Yeah. 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 And uh, you know what? Where did where did you uh, sort of bring this after the first trial with with Liz? Did you? expand on it more or how, how did you then bring it forward so after that first trial uh we learned a couple things uh one we learned how long it took to reach that peak condition yeah so you have a microcycle, uh which is usually a week uh, it doesn't have to be though and you repeat it okay and you monitor the athlete's response and you get a couple different response types some people just improve yeah. you know uh, other people have an initial dip and then an improvement other people are stagnant for a while and then have a dip and then an improvement but it's usually one of those three response types and uh that is that's somewhat variable from person to person and block to block it, okay. it's if you if you have a type one response, it doesn't mean you'll always be a type one response, you know. But yeah. um, usually, it's one of these types of response, you know. Yeah. And um, so, what you're looking for uh, is, you know, after that improvement happens, at some point, you're repeating the same thing. And of course, the weights get a bit heavier because you're adjusting the weights as your RPEs. Uh, you're you're adjusting the weights to keep your RPEs. Uh, on track yeah you know so as you're getting stronger you're handling a little bit heavier and heavier weights so the lifter's improving for a while but eventually that's going to stop yeah you know uh now you measure how long it takes from the start of the development cycle to that peak performance and the number of exposures is relatively stable so in liz's case it was <clears throat> it was about 10 exposures Okay. Uh, now she was doing two microcycles per week, so that was about five weeks. Um, if we were doing one microcycle per week, it would have been closer to ten weeks. Now it's not exact, right? There's yeah. a little bit of fudge room. The human body is just not an exact machine. Um, 
at least not in a way that we can account for it. So, um, yeah, so you measure this time to your peak condition. And that tells you a lot because that'll tell you how long uh, the training blocks need to be. You know, so in her case, it was, it was about 10 exposures. Uh, and it ranges from about three to 10 is getting pretty high. Okay. You know, 10 is a lot of exposures. Um, and I mentioned that she's doing two microcycles per week, so it only takes five weeks. Uh, and that's pretty manageable, you know. Yeah. Now, if you were doing one microcycle per week and it took 10, so it would take roughly 10 weeks, that's difficult to manage from just, a, a, you know, trying to get your peaking correct and stuff like that. It, it becomes a bit unwieldy. So you can change things about how frequently these microcycles happen. Yeah. So you can manage the, the time to peak as well. Yeah. Uh, I would say the average for powerlifters that I've seen is around five or six exposures. Uh, and that's one microcycle per week as well. So usually five or six weeks. Yeah. You know, um, and then you can manipulate that as well. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, Liz, is, Liz can handle stress, you know, more than most other people that you've seen as well. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 So, um, you know, what what will work for her may not work for, you know, the average powerlifter right. as well. Well, that, that's the other thing too, though, is that you can adjust the, the, the training stress, you know. So because she was doing two microcycles a week, that doesn't mean that it was like two weeks in one, you know. Yeah. Like each microcycle gets toned down so that the overall volume per week is the same. Because there's exposures, you know, but then there's your recovery processes as well. You okay. know, so your recovery processes take time, you know, but peaking seems to be linked to exposures. So they're slightly yeah. decoupled, you know. Now they can be linked, but they don't have to be, right? Yeah. Uh, so if you're going to do, uh, say, two microcycles in a week, you may turn the volume uh, per microcycle down yeah. so that, uh, you know, you're, you're getting the correct amount of recovery. Whereas if you were stretching it out, let's say, let's say you were doing one microcycle every two weeks, okay. you know, so you're, you're probably having more sessions uh, and you can crank the volume up. So that's kind of the other thing that we've done. Say you've got somebody with a really short time to peak, like three weeks or something. Yeah, that's difficult in a little bit of a different way. It's like they never. It's over so quickly. Yeah, you know, and, it, and you, just as a coach, you get this sense that like, man, if we could stretch that out a little bit longer, you could squeeze more of the juice out of yeah. out of the stimulus. You know, so we've kind of gone that way. Uh, you know. Not all the time, not at all, all the time, but especially in cases where you've got somebody with a really short time to peak. Yeah. Uh, you can, you know, say they're training four days a week. Uh, the way that would look is like an A week and a B week, you know, and so yeah. it would be A, B, A, B. Uh, so it's really eight sessions in a microcycle, you know, okay. eight sessions before it repeats. So you would go, if it's three exposures, it would take you six weeks to get three exposures rather than three weeks okay yeah that makes a lot of sense and you know just on the sort of how you build the template like you you probably just 
with the emerging strategies, what I've seen is that you know you you have to get a lot of information from the athlete. So maybe one cycle they they'll run squats three times a week, and then you'll you'll gather that information, and then the next cycle they'll run four. Um, you know, it it's just it seems like it's a. Uh, you know, from a coaching standpoint, you need to, you know, gather the information. It's not just a case of like a linear block, just running it um, for the 16 weeks. Right. Well, I mean, and that's a problem that all coaches in all situations face. Yeah. It's just that <clears throat> I think a lot of us don't acknowledge it head on. You yeah. know, I think a lot of us uh, don't acknowledge it, to be honest. You yeah. know, if, if we know that athlete response varies and if you don't have a way to figure out what the athlete responds best to, yeah, then you're just ignoring that problem. You're saying, I'm going to take this approach and whether that's the best for you or not, doesn't matter. I'm just going to take this approach. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just, that, <clears throat> and, and I think a lot of coaches are, are more intuitive about it, which is fine as well. Um, you know, strengths and weaknesses to that tool as yeah. well. Um, I I just I like to have a systematic process, and I think that there's definitely some benefits to having that. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's what I favor. You know. Yeah, and uh, you know, with with uh, you know, the, your website has a resource that people can track their sort of progress on as well um, yeah. and it's a free resource as well yeah so uh, there's a training log on the website yep. and that's free for anybody to use uh, you just go to reactivetrainingsystems.com and you log in click on apps and you're basically there uh, you can log your training on, on the website and then at the end of each development cycle uh, you would go in to the reporting section and run a block review on that on that development cycle. Yeah. So then the idea is that you collect these block reviews uh, and then you're training for a major competition or something like that. Uh, you can go back through them and pull out your best block reviews, like your best ones. And uh, you can do it for each lift individually or everything all together. You know, it's really up to you how you want to slice it. Yeah. But you would look for the commonalities. You know, every time I have an outstanding training block, I'm training with high intensity. Every time I have an outstanding training block, I'm doing this exercise or that exercise. Yeah. And that can help inform you on what you need to do going into these, uh, you know, major competitions, whatever that is for you. you yeah. Know? And now it's important to note that that's not a guarantee. You know, just because you you know, every time you've had a successful block, you were doing high intensity doesn't mean that high intensity necessarily caused that response, right? Yeah. In the scientific sense of like, if we're going to be really rigid with, with what we mean by cause, uh, then, you know, we can't make that link because this is just correlative data, but it's so for the if if you have anybody listen who who's more of a statistician or I guess a more of a statistics nerd I guess yeah I think of it as a Bayesian inference. It's not so much that any of these block reviews 
prove anything. It's just that, that they give you a little bit. It's like a glimpse, you know. Uh, each one is a data point, and you know if you have two data points, that tells you something, but it may not be great, yeah. you know. But if you have a whole bunch of data points and it all kind of points in the same direction, then that's something you can be more sure of. Yeah. You know, uh, you're never, you never prove it. It's never certain, but you get a little bit more certain with, with more information. Yeah. And, you know, it goes into another sort of thing that I liked about it was, you know, you can, you can get, you can judge how you're feeling on the day for your track app on there as well. You know, so so that that definitely helps get into these type of sessions with the with a high stress sort of session. Right. Yeah. So uh, recovery tracking through track. Uh, now I focus these days on the subjective questions um, that gives me the picture that I need. You know, as a coach. Um. And what I'm looking for is to see how the athlete's responding to a given level of stress. So there, there's these uh, short-term fatigue graphs, and I've been posting more of those on my Instagram lately, yeah. uh, which kind of shows what's normal for you, given the, the level of training that you're doing and where you're at now. You know, yeah. So you know, there's like this line that goes <clears throat> through the middle that is your trend line, and that's normal. So you know if uh, fatigue is above this trend line, then you're more fatigued than you normally are for this given level of training. Yeah. Which tells you that either you're not recovering as well or you've got more other stresses going on than is being accounted for in your training. Yeah. You know, so that would be cause to say, hey, uh, you know, let me look at my life a little bit. You know, yeah, I've got some outside stress or, you know, maybe I'll start going to bed a bit earlier or something like that, Yeah. you know. Um, and then on the other side, if your fatigue is less than uh, what it is for a given level of training, then that, that tells you something about what you need to do as well. Yeah. Um, Long-term fatigue graphing, which is really useful um, to see kind of your overall level of recovery, I think. Um, it's useful to, um, we all know that you've got to stress the body to get results from it, Yeah. but you don't, you can't stress it too much. Now you can stress it really hard for a given day. You know, it, you know, you probably won't kill yourself just based on what you do in one day, you know? Yeah. Uh, and just as likely you know, having a day or two days of rest doesn't fix all your problems. Okay. So the long-term fatigue kind of shows you where you've been over the last 30 days, you know, and you can see like, oh yeah, well, fatigue is gradually getting higher and higher over this 30-day average. So uh, that means that overall I'm putting more stress into the system than I can recover from. So I need to do something about that. Or yeah. You know, hey, I'm not progressing, but really my stress levels, have, my fatigue levels have been really low. And maybe I need to push my training a bit harder, you know. Yeah. So knowing that, knowing how you're recovering uh, tells you something about what you need to do in terms of just training workload. Yeah. And, and outside, outside recovery and workload and stuff like that as well. Yeah. And 
on 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 like uh, stress levels or you know there is an index that you have as well and uh, you know 30 is the highest right would 30 be the highest on the stress um there's really no upper limit to it you know so so stress index is just kind of our way of accounting for uh the recovery cost of a given workout yeah you know so you build one workout or say you're comparing two workouts and uh, you're trying to figure out which one is going to be harder to recover from well you could look at the stress index and that would give you a, a good idea yeah a numerical idea you know so there's really no upper limit to it um you know, zero would be no stress, no, no recovery costs, which, you know, like any model, if you push it to its extremes, it's, it kind of breaks a little yeah, bit, yeah. you know, it's got its operational limits, of course. um, but it's, it's useful in most cases, you know, uh, I will say that 30, like a stress index of 30, like per movement pattern. So 30 for your upper body, 30 for your lower body is, uh, for powerlifting. I mean, it kind of breaks down that way. We, yeah. Uh, ignore some movement patterns uh in competitive powerlifting yeah um 30 is the highest that i have programmed consistently uh maybe the highest i've programmed um we don't usually need to go there yeah uh, but that's that's pretty rough <laughs> yeah it is that would be, that would be the equivalent of probably doing your competition lifts in the one day around that yeah so it's it's so the strategy that had a stress index of 30 um had the three competition lifts uh on monday uh along with two assistance slots okay. uh one for the bench and one for the lower body then you come in day two uh and you would do as like an assistance movement for squat bench and deadlift uh plus two more supplemental movements and then um thursday and friday you would repeat that so a b a b yeah. uh, in terms of workout structure okay um but so like that's kind of the template um now we've used that template with a more reasonable stress level you know and that's been very successful as well you know like a like a 24 or something like that yeah um the thing that made that made the 30 stress index so difficult was that the amount of sets that you would do was pretty comparable to a normal workout so it was a really long difficult workout and you did a lot of them you know? yeah 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 it's uh you know it the stress is something that you know a lot of sort of athletes especially in ireland don't take into consideration because they'll still be doing stuff outside of powerlifting and, and they don't realize that that's accumulating the stress as well. So so if you if you were to give sort of a, a model like like a 30 stress, then their stress could be an, even higher than that in the 40s and 50s. Some yeah. ways, especially, if, especially if they do like another sport as well. Um, yeah. You know, it, it can definitely creep up there into the highs, high 30s. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I mean, once you get away from like barbell sports, uh, I think the stress index is going to not really translate so well. 
but I think that's where trap can be really useful mm-hmm. is because that's more about how are you feeling, you know, yeah. like, what are your soreness and pain levels? You know, what are your, your fatigue and motivation, your general perceptions of, of recovery, uh, your, uh, motivation to train mood and things like that. Mm-hmm. And we would establish kind of what's normal for you and then look at deviations from that normal. Yeah. You know, say you've got somebody who's doing an insane training program. Let's say they're doing small off, you know, and then uh, they're doing, you know, jujitsu or whatever uh, on the side. Um, yeah. I would expect that you would see their fatigue levels getting gradually, or not gradually, probably pretty rapidly higher and higher, you know. And, yeah. and at some point, you're going to look at that and go, eh, we need to pump the brakes and, yeah. and slow us down a bit, you know. So uh, that's one thing I, I like track because it accounts for things that aren't you know clearly and numerically defined you know yeah ahead of time it's more of a so so that's the that's the thing right so what do we care about what are we trying to measure and i find myself coming back to that a lot what is it what is the thing i'm trying to measure here um if i'm wondering how much fatigue is the athlete dealing with it's like, what do you mean by fatigue? You know, uh, it, now what I mean by fatigue generally is how's the athlete feeling? Like, are they feeling sore and beat up and tired or not? Yeah. And so track assesses that. Now, if you have somebody who's simply a power lifter, uh, taking something like stress index, um, we can probably predict, or we can actually predict, uh, how they're going to be feeling for a given, you know, you give them a workout and I can predict given enough data, I can predict how they're going to feel at the end of this workout. Yeah. You know, but when you start adding in other things outside of that, that are much more difficult to account for, you know, jujitsu is a good example. Yeah. Um, you know, well, how are they going to feel after this? Well, I don't really know. So rather than trying to predict it, let's just measure it directly. And that's, that would be track. And uh, then we can have still have the information that we need to make the, the right decision. Okay. That's, yeah. yeah. And, you know, just, just on that as well, um, would you find that, like some of the athletes that you work with, like over or undershoot the RPEs when they're uh, adopting this pr- approach? I don't really find that it affects their RPE rating that much. Um, if they tend to undershoot, then they continue to have that tendency. If they tend to overshoot, then same there. Um, I do think that it's not it's not super critical that you're perfect with your RPE rating. I mean, the more accurate you can be, the better. And the more accurate you can be, the the easier things like performance tracking become uh, and you get better resolution there. Yeah. But, you know, if the program calls for a, a, an 8 RPE and you're doing an 8.5, I mean, how big of a difference is that going to make? Probably not huge. Yeah. Uh, you're going to be getting slightly more stress per set, you know. Uh, yeah. You know, if the program... If you called it an eight, but it's really a, an 8.5, then okay. So yeah, the, the accounting is off a little bit, but 
if we expected it to be an exact science, then that's where we messed up to begin with. Yeah, you know? exactly. Um, and, you know, on exercise selection, uh, you know, there's certain parts of the squat that break down, especially sort of to hit the, the sticking point or even squishing at the bottom. Um, how, how effective do you feel that, you know, in a development cycle that getting those sort of assistance squats are when you're coaching this type of model? I think it's definitely useful. I don't think it's required, but I do think it's certainly useful. Yeah. Um, that's not a perfect approach either. And I mean, that's, that's the approach that I've taken for, you know, the bulk of my career. But one thing, uh, one thing that I'm learning through this, you know, as I get deeper into the whole emerging strategies thing, um, you can take a strategy like that, like say attacking the weak range of motion in your squat. And even if you're changing the exercises, it's almost as if the athlete will uh, accommodate the strategy, you know, and they'll, they'll stop responding so well to the strategy as a whole. And I don't know if you noticed uh, it, over the last several months, I guess, um, there have been a lot of lifters uh, doing more slow tempo eccentric training. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And not all of them, but a lot of them were power lifters, you know, and where a lot of this came from was a, a lot of them were starting to have blunted responses to that attacking the weak range of motion strategy you know mm -hmm. so what we started to do was uh, try to implement a strategy that's not that you know how can we get them stronger without going to the same strategy you know yeah. well it's a slow tempo eccentric was one thing that that came up that you know like well that's plausible you know there's uh, other people who've had good results with it in the past and you know there's plenty of reasons to think that it could work so we built a strategy around it and and implemented it and some athletes had a really great response to it other athletes it was kind of more so-so i don't think anyone did badly with it yeah um the interesting thing to me though has been taking them back to normal you know so-called normal i guess it's just more typical uh training strategies yeah after that you know because now that they haven't been banging away at the same uh the same movement type the same strategy uh for you know cycle after cycle you know and so when you take them back to it they're a bit more sensitive to that strategy when it gets reintroduced yeah and then you know with with athletes as well it, sometimes they're stuck in their ways like in terms of like always being on a linear cycle or that type of yeah. approach so trying to introduce them to this new style um can be quite challenging at, at the start but and you know as they go through it they they see they see the progression so they're always happy in the end yeah you know i, I thought that would be a problem when i first started with this i thought you know athletes are going to get bored doing the same microcycle over and over yeah. Uh, and they're not going to like it. But what I've found in reality is that I've had maybe one or two people tell me that they don't want to do it because it's boring. Okay. Uh, but by and large, most people 
do not find it boring. Most people find it really cool, actually, because yeah. while you're in a development cycle, for the most part, you're getting better. Yeah. You know, Each week, you're lifting weights that are a little bit heavier, and that's fun for a powerlifter. If it wasn't, then you wouldn't be a powerlifter. Yeah, right? yeah exactly. Um, and then at the end of the development cycle, when you have that peak, then it's like all of a sudden it gets boring, you know? Yeah. But that's when it's time to change things anyway, and you go into a pivot block and, and uh, you know, change things from there. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, that that's awesome. Um, you know, uh, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Um, can, can we just talk about, like, the resources and your website and stuff? And um, if anyone else wants to find out any more information on this topic, Sure, sure. So, uh, again, the, the things on the website, the tools there are free for anybody to use. Uh, you just go to reactivetrainingsystems.com. Uh, you log in and click on apps, and there you go. Uh, they're all uh, web browser-type applications. Um, there's a training log, and we talked about track and body weight tracking and reporting and all these different things. So uh, definitely have a look around there. Uh the whole goal is to help people make better training decisions. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's the aim for sure. Uh, as far as getting in touch with us, uh, you can use the contact form right there on the website if you like. Uh, that will go to uh, go to our email. Um, I'm also pretty active, easy to find on Instagram and Facebook, uh, yeah. and most of our other coaches are as well. Um, Mike Tushier on Instagram, all one word. Uh, and reactive training, same on Facebook, and then reactive training systems pretty much anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. I mean, I've started, I started doing the emerging class in January, and I'm all, I'm, I think we're halfway through the practical element of it as well. Um, it's been, yeah. it's actually changed, you know, my, my coaching life. I mean, you know, I've been implementing that now with the athletes that I'm working with from, you know, sort of, ones athletes that have been doing it one year and then all the way through to the athletes that are going to the world championships in five weeks as well so it's been it's definitely a strategy that i've really enjoyed implementing so thank yeah. you no but my pleasure man this has been a, a colossal like brain baby <laughs> it yeah. just kind of got birthed at some point so i'm, I'm glad that uh, other people were getting uh, use out of it and uh, you know that hopefully it's improving lifters and making people stronger man that's that's the best yeah and uh we look forward to seeing you at the epc as well um for the second yeah, year on. and and more importantly uh, uh good luck with your athletes at, at the world championships in calgary oh well, thank you thank well, you thank you Mike, and we'll see you there yeah see you there okay and that's number 12 in the bag um i hope you enjoyed that one as much as i did uh makes a coach that I've been following for quite a number of years so to have a, a coach of his caliber on the podcast um, is amazing um, so, and that goes to you know the audience you guys um, uh, I really enjoy the feedback and stuff we've been getting and uh, you know we've got some real uh, high quality guests lined up um, you know our next one's probably well not probably it is going to be Jen Milligan um, I'm really looking forward to that interview as well um, you know we're getting closer to words now so the last few weeks uh, I'm really looking forward to it um, but as I said in the intro 
first up NIPF and next week we'll check in and let you guys know how everyone done um but again like you can find our podcast on itunes and soundcloud and on our website at www.strengthwaysystems.com um and that's it for me thank you peace